The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. This is the Steve Malzberg Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I welcome you aboard. It is uh, four minutes after the hour of 9 p.m. on Wednesday night here on the East Coast of the United States. You know what day and time it is wherever you are listening to or watching the Steve Malzberg Show. We have a lot to get to tonight, uh, so let's get started. A lot of fallout, a lot of follow-up to the uh, resignation of the uh, president of Harvard, Miss um, Gay, uh, last night or yesterday. She resigned. We talked about it last night a lot. She actually wrote an op-ed in the New York Times today, and uh, indulge me while I just while I read you a little bit of it, uh, because while the left has made her the victim uh, in all of this, she has capitalized on that, and she has made herself into a victim, playing the race card and other cards. Um, I'm not reading the whole thing, obviously. On Tuesday, I made a wrenching but necessary decision to resign as Harvard's president. For weeks, both I and the institution to which I have devoted my professional life have been under attack. Um, my character, my intelligence have been impugned. My commitment to fighting anti-Semitism has been questioned. My inbox has been flooded with invective. Uh, in, I'm sorry, invective, including um, death threats. I've been called the N-word more times than I care to count. Death threats? The police should act on that. Don't get me wrong. Call the N-word. If that falls under some kind of hate crime, whatever, they should act on that. I don't defend that whatsoever. Um, imagine her her uh, defensive uh, uh, the, or her, her actions against anti-Semitism have been questioned. Gee, I wonder why. We're not finished. My hope is that by stepping down, I will deny demagogues the opportunity to further weaponize my presidency and their campaign to undermine ideals. Um, let me see. I lost my, okay. Um, uh, unique to Harvard since the founding, since its founding, ex, uh, excellence, openness, independence, and truth. Uh, that's some one word I screwed up. As I depart, I must offer a few words of warning. The campaign against me was about more than one university and one leader. This was merely a single skirmish in a broader war to unravel public faith in pillars of American society. Really? Really? I'll tell you what it was about in a second. Yes, I made mistakes in my initial response to the atrocities of October 7th. I should have stated more forcefully what all the people of good conscience know. Hamas is a terrorist organization that seeks to eradicate the Jewish state. And at a congressional hearing last month, I fell into a well-laid trap. It was a trap. The most, the easiest, most direct, most forthright, questions that could possibly be asked with the easiest answers expected yes of course that crosses the line yes of course that's against the code of conduct yes sir. she couldn't say that and didn't say that but that was a trap um i neglected to clearly articulate that calls for the genocide of jewish people are abhorrent and unacceptable and that i would use every tool at my disposal to protect students from that kind of hate well why didn't you say it you were asked it, Ms. Gay, you were asked it over and over. The Congresswoman Elise Stefanik sat there in, a, in, a, in a astonishment at your lack of a clear answer, begged you for a clear answer, and you wouldn't give it. And now it's like, oh, yeah, I guess I screwed up. I neglected to say, you knew what you were saying. 
You knew exactly what you were saying. You're the president of Harvard. Um, da -da 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 -da. Okay. Most recently, the attacks have focused on my scholarship. My critics found instances in my academic writings where some material duplicated other scholars' language without proper attribution. Um, plagiarism? I believe all scholars deserve full and appropriate credit for their work. When I learned of these errors, I promptly requested corrections from the journals in which the flagged articles were published, consistent with how I have seen similar faculty cases handled at Harvard. So when she inadvertently took other people's writings, made them her own, and left it until she got caught, now she's insisting that that person who she took it from be given proper credit. Wow, she is something, isn't she? What a what a upstanding citizen. <laughs> um, it's not lost on me that I make an ideal canvas for projecting every anxiety about the generational and demographic changes unfolding on American campuses. A black woman selected to lead a storied institution. So this this trap this cabal this effort to get her unfairly of course is about her being black about her being a woman she is the victim she is the victim not the people she plagiarized not the jews on campus who have undergone horrific treatment and she failed to state that that treatment was horrific and unacceptable under harvard standards when she was asked before a congressional committee none of that she's the victim i want you to remember that because there's going to be a test coming up right after the show or during the show i guess who's going to give you the test after the show um and of course of course the left and i mentioned some of them yesterday al sharpton and others uh the leftist media and we played a bite from a guy on cnn remember who talked about plagiarism but said no ideas were stolen <laughs> just the writings were stolen but no ideas what she plagiarized the and 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 if not 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 full paragraphs or sentences no ideas <laughs> you can't make it up i say that all the time i should uh, trademark you can't make it up um anyway so let's let's get to some more of the reaction from the left uh, in response to the uh, forced resignation of um of miss gay and uh, this is um this is going to be joy reed and she brings up Christopher Rufo. Christopher Rufo is a conservative activist who has been at the fore of many efforts, many conservative efforts. He has an opinion on everything. He's, he's very influential and he was active along with many, many, many others. Anybody with a brain, with decency, with dignity, with common sense, that she should resign. So, but she, she focuses on Christopher Rufo and here she is on, on, uh, on, on MSNBC, Joy Reid, of course, and it's cut 31. There is this sort of open war on black progress, black history. Um, Claudine Gay, the president uh, of Harvard University, at least up until she resigned, um, is now the latest casualty of that. Christopher Rufo, um, who is out there touting and you know high-fiving and claiming the scalp of Claudine Gay, telegraphed that this was what they were going to do, that they were going to associate 
um, these DEI professors of colleges with BLM and decolonization and Hamas in the public mind and get rid of them. He's now claiming victory. He telegraphed that this was the campaign. Why are these elite colleges capitulating to it and essentially making it so uncomfortable for these women leaders that they have to step down to be replaced by white men? <laughs> First of all, Joy Reid doesn't know. Nobody knows that she's going to be replaced by a white man. OK, so that's just that's an assumption. It's it's ridiculous because I don't believe she'll be replaced by a white man. I mean, I don't know what what odds Vegas is laying, but I would bet against the white man. Um, I think that's a safe bet these days when it comes to jobs and promotions and staffing and that kind of thing, don't you, in this country? Okay, um, and of course, it's all about race, and it's all about unfair treatment of her because she's such a genius. She did everything right, not the treatment of the Jews on campus, not the plagiarism. Never once did she mention plagiarism. Never once did the P word cross her lips. Nope, because it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Now, um, so we go now to um, uh, Abby Phillips on CNN, and I always thought Abby Phillips was kind of, hey, she's a leftist, yeah, but I thought she was a common sense leftist. Um, you know, she just played right into it here. Although the guest that she asked the question to, uh, I was very surprised. I don't know him. He is a, um, his name is Coleman Hughes, and he is a, uh, Journalists of some sort, apparently. And here is cut 34. So you don't think there was anything um, about this that had to do with the fact that she was a black woman from no. the from the people who were claiming this as a victory against DEI, diversity, equity and inclusion? I don't think it did. And, and you know what? Even if it did, that doesn't justify it. If 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 you or I did this or even any white scholar, it would be career ending to have 50 examples of plagiarism. And it has to be because how can you be the one upholding Harvard's integrity when you yourself have failed? It's as if the commissioner of the Major League Baseball uh, or the NBA had a lifelong history of steroid use and was now the person in charge of kicking other people out for steroid use. It's completely untenable. That's a that's a good example. Like I would have said maybe something uh, at the committee want to go to the commissioner of the NFL, make an analogy, uh, you know, who uh, had a gambling problem. Well, then, well, then he wouldn't be commissioner, but he wouldn't be commissioner if he had a steroid problem either. So who had a terrible gambling problem and he was in charge of suspending players who had a gambling problem. I mean, you could go. There's a litany of analogies to be made and good for him. Good for him. Uh, and we'll come back to um to uh, Abby Phillips a little later, because in that same with that same panel, she also had some other things to say, not about um, uh, Claudine Gay. OK, on Morning Joe, little Mika uh, was interviewing Mara Gay. No relation, as far as I know, of the New York Times editorial board. And um, she was asked about, of course, the resignation. She now she almost starts off slow and then works her way up into what you'd expect her to say uh, in the cuts we have with her, a couple of them. Here's cut 35. The thing that really disturbs me is the unrelenting campaign from the right and from some mm -hmm. conservative activists to uh, slander, discredit, and ultimately, I, I guess, uh, you know, somebody used the phrase, 
uh, we've claimed a scalp, I, said, I think, on uh, social media, you know, to essentially unseat gay and other presidents as well um, when they don't like, uh, you know, the, not just the handling of uh, the horrific attacks on Israel on October 7th, the way that that was handled on campus, but really anything else uh, that they don't like about uh, not just these presidents, but actually what they would call wokeism on campus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, you mean like uh, having separate graduations for 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 blacks and and whites and Hispanics? You mean like having um, uh, housing and events for blacks only? Uh, you mean that kind of stuff uh, and and more? And the list goes on and on and on. Look. So conservatives don't have a right to speak out? Where, where's been the organized efforts, aside from these three fools, buffoons, who expose themselves for what they are and expose what the colleges have become in this country, um, uh, uh, UPenn, Harvard, and, and MIT, and it goes way beyond them. Where, where's the organized efforts to get all these, these uh, women of color and people of color fired? because people don't like what's going on on college campuses. Where? Where is it? Where's the effort? And, and where was the effort here? Yeah, Chris, Christopher Rufo claimed uh, the celebrated, he claimed victory because he was outspoken against it. Well, why would Christopher Rufo's outspokenness or my outspokenness influence the Harvard School Board? I'll tell you what influenced the Harvard School Board. First of all, the performance of those three presidents before the Congress. But that wasn't enough to get it done. And one of them is still working there. And the other two are no longer president, but they're still working there, collecting their presidential salaries. I'll tell you what it was. I mean, my goodness, it, it was it was it was their own actions. And it was what, what maybe pushed these boards is that you had former students who are now huge donors to these universities demand change and say, we're not going to donate anymore. Would you donate? I wouldn't. I would never donate, first of all. Now, it may not hurt them that much because they get huge uh, donations, uh, uh, allegedly, from foreign countries. God knows how, how much and from who and how that works. That was brought up at the hearing, and, and Ms. Gay wasn't sure, of course. She's only president of the university. Why should she know? Oh, I'm only saying that because she's black. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Anyway. All right. So we got. Uh, so that was um, that was uh, Mara Gay of the New York Times editorial board. But there's more. Uh, this is cut 36. So this is really an attack on academic freedom. It's an attack on uh, people who are pluralists and believe that you should bring people from all over the world together uh, of diverse backgrounds and that you you actually have more scholarly rigor and and more. Um, value can be uh, brought by having people from different backgrounds. This is an attack on diversity. This is an attack on multiculturalism and on many of the values that a lot of us hold dear. And in fact, anybody really who is around my age in their 30s who went to any uh, public, major public university or private university in this country, you know, these are values that are very important. Um, and I think mm -hmm. that's why these presidents are under attack. That's why Claudine Gay was under attack. What are the values? 
what what values is she talking about? Diversity and equity, that that stuff. DEI, diversity, equality, and 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 uh, and um, no, no, I'm forgetting what the other one is. Th- that that's that's the value she because I don't know what value she's talking about. The value of not saying that calling for the extermination of Jews on campus when there are Jews on campus is against school policy. Is that the value? Plagiarism. Is that the value that you use? You people in your 30s, you guys in your 30s, generation, whatever you are, grew up with and is so valuable to you. Are those the values? Because that's why she got bounced. That's what she did and didn't do. That's what she was doing and not doing. (laughs) And I got to tell you, let me honestly, personally, from day one, I wanted her out and MIT and um, and University of Pennsylvania. So we got two out of three. I wouldn't care if you sat white men in those chairs at that congressional hearing before Elise Stefanik asked the same exact questions and those white men gave the exact same answers, I would say, get them the hell out. I don't care that she's black. This is what the left does. This is their safety net. This is their safety valve. This is what they cry when you don't like something, when you can't defend something, when it's a losing cause. Cry racism. Cry sexism. Cry any ism you want. Any ism you want. Okay? That's what they do. That's what they do. And, of course, the definition of racism has been changed. It, it was the first real word of meaning to be changed by the left. You know, now the list goes on and on and on and on and on. You know, there's, there's, there's tons of them. But racism, uh, it was Al Sharpton who a couple decades ago said blacks can't be racist because they have no power. Now, what, what, I don't know what that means. They have no power. I mean, as a voting block, they're awfully powerful. Blacks are not monolithic. So when you say they have no power, I don't know what that means. Uh, but you have to have be able to, you have to have power to be racist. Really? Where was that in the definition? Well, we just put it in. Just like we changed after that, women and men and marriage and sex and blah, 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 and all the, all the way down the list. And there's, there's more if I had some time to think. You just change the definition of the word and that's it. Very convenient. I believe we have uh, one more from um, from Ms. Gay. Uh, cut 37. The fact that she's a black woman and the first person uh, who is a, a black American to lead Harvard uh, only added their thirst to dethrone her. And, you know, those attacks, you don't have to, I don't have to say that they're racist because you can hear and see the racism, the attacks when people like Vivek Ramaswamy say, uh, you know, uh, okay, this is this is a problem about diversity and hiring. I mean, this is racism as well. Well, I respect and validate everything you're saying at the same time. Simple questions that they were being asked at the hearing. Okay, that's number one. And then in the case of Claudine Gay, uh, the um, plagiarism aspect of this was an added problem. So a lot of things going on, very complex and a conversation we should continue to have. 
That may not seem like much, what little Mika just did there, but that is huge. That is huge because she let uh, uh, um, uh, Maragay, get confused, Maragay sit there and speak for about two and a half minutes claiming racism, sexism, thisism, thatism, uh, cabal, and never, never mention why she got in trouble, what she did again with the plagiarism and what she didn't do and didn't say at the hearings and didn't do on campus. So you got, even though it's meaningless and it wasn't like, you know, confronting her, confronting her, she at least got it in at the end. She didn't want to be able to, to have people say, as I would have, and little Mika just sat there and said nothing. She did, but at the end, she got a qualifier in, which, and good for her, good for her. Now let's shift a little bit on the view and the opinion. And we go over to uh, the Fox News Channel and Harris Faulkner. Um, and this is uh, what she had to say about uh, some of it. This would be cut number 40. Well, despite all of the condemnation after that, Claudine Gay waited nearly a full month after that hearing to resign and did so without apologizing for her incendiary testimony. Instead, she said in a statement, it has been distressing to have doubt cast on my commitments to confronting hate and to upholding scholarly rigor, two bedrock values that are fundamental to who I am and frightening to be subjected to personal attacks and threats fueled by racial animus. She had to talk to some of those students on campus who were Jewish when they were looking for the Jewish people on campus. Some of the media were quick to blame conservatives for her resignation. Here's from Politico. How the right toppled Harvard's political or Harvard's president, Associated Press, said this. Harvard's president's resignation highlights new conservative weapon against colleges, plagiarism. The New York Times with this. Conservatives see Harvard president Claudine Gay's resignation as a victory. Gay's defenders also blaming racism. <laughs> Good for Harris Faulkner, especially when she said, you know, and again, I don't condone racism, threats, attacks against anybody. I said that at the beginning when, 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 when uh, Claudine Gay, I read from her piece in the New York Times today that she says she received uh, the emails and correspondence calling her the N-word and threatening her. That's outrageous. Law enforcement should be called in and, that, and those people should be treated appropriately. But so should that happen as Harris Faulkner just alluded to, on a college campus when, when there are people there calling for the extermination of Jewish people. So that's a threat. That's a death threat. So that's okay because, oh, we at Harvard, we cherish freedom of ideas. And only if it becomes, uh, and, and I don't know if she said it or one of the other ones said it, but they all were saying the same thing. Oh, only if it becomes uh, action, you know, only if they take action on it. So then I guess by her own definition, by her definition, not mine, calling her the N-word or threatening, which again, if it's illegal, they should be arrested. But by her definition, Unless somebody acts upon those things, you know, it's freedom of ideas. Crazy, right? Just crazy. All right, we got one more from uh, Harris Faulkner, and this is number 41. So when they were hunting Jewish faith students on campus 
And those students were fearful, and we were toward the beginnings of the Israel-Hamas savages war, those savages October 7th, what they had done to trigger that war. When all of that was going on on Claudine Gay's campus, she was in charge. Those were the victims. Now people say she's the victim, so now she's saying it. And what is black progress about being anti-Semitic? What is progress about refusing to defend those underserved communities, that vulnerable community that is frightened to death, literally, on your campus? All right. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Um, good for good for Fox, as usual, for telling it like it is. And I and I would venture to say the majority of Americans uh, would think the right thing happened. When we come back, I can see him. You can't see him yet, but I know he's there. My buddy, my friend who I'm privileged to know for so many years, the great Stephen Moore will be here to talk about Bidenomics, inflation, uh, the minimum wage going up, the, the record national debt, and so much more when we return. Steve Malsberg right here on TNT. From weather and traffic reports to news of political developments, we turn to journalists for the information we need to live our daily lives. Journalists around the world providing news that is essential for democracy, for personal freedom, and for safety and stability. Yet their ability to report freely and safely is under attack like never before. So many journalists are paying with their lives. They faced exponential risks and they've already paid a heavy toll. Death threats, online harassment, and physical attacks are becoming a daily experience of journalists in all countries. We just want people to be safe, to be able to get our readers the information that they need to make informed decisions. They checked my phone and realized that it was Pegasus. I feel myself like I'm naked at the street. These charges were politicized from the start. Facts win. Truth wins. Justice wins. C'est énorme pour moi d'être là, d'être libre. Je que je m'y attendais pas du tout. Stand with the free press. Stand with journalists whose reporting won't be silenced. Press freedom is your freedom. When a crisis hits close to home and across the globe, nonprofits are on the front lines ready to serve. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. The demand for charitable services has skyrocketed, and nonprofits are rising to meet the needs. Healing. Nurturing, rescuing, honoring, protecting, caring, inspiring. The work of philanthropic organizations of all sizes across all missions has never been more important. And it's donors and volunteers like you who make all this possible. Thank you. Together, we change the world. The Nonprofit Alliance. 
TNTradio.live. Online. Online. Online streaming. Be a part of the conversation. I stream it all at work, and I stream it to my phone and listen to it wherever I go. TNT. Okay, folks, welcome back. Steve Malsberg with you. And joining us now is former economic advisor to President Donald Trump. And he is also, of course, economic contributor at FreedomWorks, Stephen Moore. Stephen, great to see you, my friend. Thank you. Hi, Steve. Great to be with you. Happy New Year. Well, Happy New Year to you. And uh, boy, this new year is going to be something. And I want to talk about uh Bidenomics and and what the media says and all that. But first, I want to ask you a question. You know, I don't know how many people have seen it, but if you go to certain places in New York City and elsewhere, you could see the national debt running up, you know, hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars every second. And I don't think people grasp what that means. And just the other day, we set, I believe, the record, the record for the first time, the national debt is, if I'm not mistaken, over $34 trillion. Tell people like me, layman people, what that means, what it means to them, what it means for the, the future of this country if that continues. Well, Steve, you know, when I first came to Washington 40 years ago in 1984, um, I'll never forget when the national debt hit $1 trillion. And we were, as a nation, aghast that our country was borrowed, had borrowed $1 trillion. That seemed like so much money. One, a trillion is one followed by 12 zeros. So that's a gigantic, incomprehensible number. And over the course of the next 40 years, it just went up and up and up and up and up and up. So now we're at $34 trillion. This is the most financially reckless president probably in the history of the United States. He's increased the debt by $6 trillion in just three years in office, which is an incredible, um, uh, I guess, achievement <laughs> that that is uh, has really hurt our country. So now we have about $350,000 of debt, national debt for every ho- household in America. Every child that's born today uh, inherits a $200,000 uh, share of the national debt, and that's going up and up every single day. And under the Biden policies, if we stay on this course in uh, in ten years, the debt will be thirty four trillion. It will be fifty trillion dollars. So there's no relief in sight. Everyone knows that you can't borrow, uh, it, borrow and print money as a way to prosperity. It's the opposite of a prosperous economy. And so we have to start taking a real chainsaw at the federal budget. Uh, but, you know, frankly, neither party really wants to do that. I mean, Biden has been especially financially um, reckless. But, you know, even the Republicans don't want to do a lot of cutting of spending. So we're in a we're in a real and if we want to you know, maintain our status as the world economic superpower, we cannot continue to amass that at this uh, pace. Yeah, no, it, it, it's just incredible. Um, let me let you hear something that David Brooks said on PBS just the other day. Uh, of course, David Brooks, a quasi-Republican at best uh, and quasi-conservative at best. Uh, here is cut uh, 32. But to me, our national situation has been solved, S-A-L-V-E-D, um, by the strength of the economy, by a lot of good things that are happening underneath politics. So. Economic growth is phenomenal right now. Unemployment is low. Inflation is down. Income inequality is down. Wages are up. Real wages are up. 
And so if it was not predicted that we would reduce this inflation without sliding into a recession, mm -hmm. and we seem to be doing it, and if we had not, if we'd fallen into 7% unemployment, 10%, can you imagine where the country would be? So just to pay tribute maybe to the Fed, or, uh, or maybe, <laughs> but to somebody, the economy's really good, and the best thing is America's not a country in decline. Our economy is outpacing Europe, Japan, China now. He sounds like, uh, you know, Joe Biden told him exactly what to say. What's your take on what he said? Yeah, happy days are here again, right? Uh, there's a big problem with that, Steve, and that is that uh, every single poll of real Americans who are not in a newsroom, who are not in the bubble of Washington, D.C., but uh, Main Street across this country, uh, don't, don't, aren't feeling the love. They, you know, every single poll, and it's been true for two years whether it's Fox News or MSNBC or the Gallup poll, every poll is showing 75 to 80% of Americans think the economy is headed in the wrong direction. So all this happy talk is really almost insulting to Americans. I mean, come on, what planet is are these people on that they think people are doing better when they keep telling us that they're doing worse? And, you know, if you're in the top 1%, yeah, this was a great year for the stock market. Prices are 20% higher today on average, uh, Steve, than when Biden came into office. The inflation rate is down, but it hit 9.2% last year. And that's that affects your prices every year in the future. And so you go to the grocery store, you go to the gas pump, you pay your mortgage, you pay your utility bill. Those are up not even 20%, but 25 or 30%. So Americans are feeling financially squeezed. And I'll just give you one other statistic that the average family since Joe Biden came into office, uh, adjusted for inflation, has lost $2,000 in purchasing power. So that is to say Biden's policies have made most American families poorer, not richer. Yeah. And, you know, Steve, um, on New Year's Eve, he uh, had a little softball interview with his wife and uh, uh, with um, uh, uh, what's his name? Seacrest, uh, Ryan Seacrest. Uh, and, and uh, at, you know, uh, before the ball dropped. And uh, he said, well, what, what, to, to Biden, what do you think? What, what's your review of 2023? And he said something you and I have talked about. He used the correct language, actually, maybe accidentally. He talked about in about a minute and a half how the uh, the, the pandemic had made all these jobs go away. And then he said, but they're back, they're coming back. And that's exactly because when, when he touts the millions and millions of jobs he quote unquote created, he didn't create them. They're coming back. They've come back after going away because of the country shut down. That's exactly right. I mean, people forget, or some people forget that, you know, we had a booming economy when Trump was president. And before the pandemic hit, we had the best economy ever for the United States. And so uh, then, you know, the pandemic, uh, because of the extraordinarily unconstitutional and foolish policies of shutting down our economy, shutting down our schools and churches and playgrounds and uh, forcing people to stay in their houses, uh, which was outrageous, um, you know, 20 to 5 million to 30 million jobs were destroyed. And so now is the, you know, by, by the way, when Biden came into office, the economy was in full-fledged recovery. I mean, I'm so sick of him saying, oh, I took over the economy was in shambles. No, it wasn't. The economy had grown 11% in the third quarter and grew at a very rapid pace in the quarter right before Biden uh, came into office. And, and then he used the pandemic and the quote crisis as an excuse to spend $6 trillion on social programs and blue state bailouts and green energy programs that had nothing to do with COVID. And uh, we're paying a high price for that. And your kids and my kids and our grandkids will pay the price for that.
Yeah. Uh, Let me ask you one more about the minimum wage. You know, this celebration that the minimum wage uh, has gone up nationally, it's gone up in many, many states. And there's, you know, as far back as I can remember, Steve, there's always been repercussions. And the the people affected uh, negatively are the people making minimum wage. Their hours are cut back. Some of them lose their jobs because, you know, employers don't don't manufacture money out of thin air and they're not going to take the loss. So they're going to cut back on hours and cut back on hiring. Am I correct? Yeah. Now, one of the reasons that, uh, you know, they want to raise the minimum wage is because Biden drove up the inflation rate so high that that's put a lot of strain on low-income families. But the solution is to get the money under control and get the government spending under control, not to keep raising the minimum wage. I, mean, I look, I'm for a reasonable minimum wage. I don't have a problem, you know, but, you know, eight, nine, ten dollars an hour. Um, but you should also have like a teenage minimum wage of seven or eight dollars an hour for teens who just want to get some training and make some extra bucks. I had my first job was 18 years old, 17 or 18 years old. I was working in a factory and, you know, make. 265 an hour. By the way, the one endurable lesson I learned from that was I better take school seriously because they're also going to have to work in one of these warehouses <laughs> for the rest of my life. Right, um, right. You know, so uh, I think everybody remembers their first job. And, uh, you know, it, you don't want to price young people out of the labor force. And you want to, what, what about somebody who's not very well skilled? Maybe they, they're not worth $12, $15, $20 an hour. You're saying they can't work, an employer can't hire them? Right. No, that's ridiculous. And by the way, my first, uh, I, I delivered the New York Daily News, but my first, uh, ah. you know, jo- my first job job was at McDonald's, started on my 16th birthday. Ah. It was Ronald, it was Ronald McDonald Day, and they had 20 cent hamburgers. So they gave me a mop and a, and a broom and cl- said, clean everything. And that was my first day. And I think, too, I made, I don't know, $2 an hour, two something, $3. Who the heck remembers? Crazy, crazy yeah. stuff. Uh, Steve, what one I more. I remember is, you uh, know, getting, yeah. I remember. I remember Steve getting that first paycheck, you know, I think the first paycheck, I was so proud of it, $32 and 50 cents. And, and all I remember is like, wait a minute, what's this FICA? They took, they took $8 out of my paycheck. What is this? You know, and, uh, right. that's, you know, now, now we, we all pay 15% of our paycheck, every paycheck we got uh, into this FICA system, which is a big ripoff for American workers. Yeah. But, you know, every, we don't want to saw off the lowest rungs of the economic ladder because if you can't get on the first rung you can't get on the second rung you can't move up the ladder right and of course that's social security uh, fica and uh, and and medicare um so biden now is good is touring the country and he's not running on bidenomics anymore because you mentioned the poll uh, uh his approval on inflation is 28 percent. okay um so he's running uh against trump the difference he i'm not trump trump is bad trump is gonna end democracy trump is this uh so it's an obvious shift and it's an obvious shift because you know they blame the media for not reporting the economy right he said, run to report it the better. But like you said, it's just it's just not happening. And people know it's just not happening. Yeah, isn't it? La- it is. It's almost comical that Joe Biden is saying that the press is too hard on him. I guess that he thinks the press is too biased <laughs> in favor of Trump's uh, favor, which is obviously preposterous. I mean, 95 percent of the people in the press hate Trump. Uh, but, uh, you know, the problem is you have to go out and ask the average person what they think. And they're not feeling the love for this economy. And that's because, you know, they understand that uh, if you look at, you know, I mentioned the national debt at 34 trillion, but we also have credit card debt now in this country that exceeds 1 trillion debt. So what people are doing is to maintain their living standards, they're going deeper and deeper into debt 
boy, that's a death trap. You know, you don't want to be doing yeah. that. And then people are paying their credit cards back late or they're digging into their 401k plans. I mean, these lower middle income families, you know, working hard 40 hours a week on a job are getting crushed by Biden's yeah. policies. It's a disaster. Steve, thank you, my friend. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of, uh, of your holiday if you're still celebrating. And uh, we will talk again soon. I look forward to the next time. You too, my friend. I love being uh, on your show and uh, happy to do it again sometime soon. Thank you. Stephen Moore, ladies and gentlemen, uh, right here on uh, the Steve Malsberg Show. We, of course, are coming back. Um, We have one final segment left in the hour on TNT. People might tell you that Lyme doesn't kill people, but we are losing people. People disappear from their lives. One of the scariest things that I had to deal with was uh, memory loss. Not just like, I don't remember what I did last week, but like, I forgot all the words to my own songs. I remember going to my primary care physician and he was like, you are 100% healthy. There's nothing wrong with you. And my response was, that's impossible. I'm dying. I wasn't working. I had all of these hospital bills and we had to move out of our home and move into my parents' basement. I just wish I could have truly been present in those big moments, you know, when she took her first steps or, you know, her first day of preschool. Lyme is such a thief and it goes undetected because no one is looking for it. For more information and prevention tips, go to projectlime.org. One in four Australian women experience domestic violence in their lifetime. Staying is dangerous, but leaving can mean homelessness for them and their children. With your generosity, the Salvos can provide crisis services and ongoing support, helping women find a way out of violence and a way back into a safe and stable life. Help us leave no one in need. Please donate to the Red Shield Appeal today. When a crisis hits close to home and across the globe, nonprofits are on the front lines ready to serve. The demand for charitable services has skyrocketed, and nonprofits are rising to meet the needs. Healing. Nurturing. Rescuing. Honoring. Protecting. Caring. Inspiring. The work of philanthropic organizations of all sizes, across all missions, has never been more important. And it's donors and volunteers like you who make all this possible. Thank you. Together, we change the world. The Nonprofit Alliance. This is the Steve Malzberg Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I welcome you back. All right, so let's move on to uh, another topic. There were a bunch of Republican congressmen down at the Mexican border earlier today because what's going on down there, uh, I, I mentioned when Steve was on, I mentioned what his, uh, what his uh, Biden's approval rating was when it came to inflation, 28%. Jobs, 42%. On immigration, he's at 26% approval. 26%. This is an issue 
that that you know that transcends really party and everything else and when they talk about you know latinos and uh donald trump has a higher latino percentage right now than he had in either of the two elections and the latinos in this country who have come here legally who have family members who came here legally went through the process did it the right way they are outraged like all of us are outraged that people are just being let in illegally and we don't know where they are we don't know who they are we find out that hundreds are on the terrorist watch list that have been caught okay uh, how many others are on the terrorist watch list that were not caught we don't know how many are criminals how many are sick with disease we don't know and let me give you let me give you just an example of uh, of some numbers and this is um apprehensions this is according to the customs and border patrol and th these are border apprehensions for the fiscal years i'm about to mention apprehensions in uh 2014 you had 479,000 for the fiscal year that's 12 months okay 479,000 in 2014 in 2019 you had 851,000 which is almost double right you know what it is now you know what it was in 2023 fiscal year 2023 I'll tell you uh 2.06 million 2.06 million apprehensions at the border you have thousands of people coming in every day thousands sometimes 10 12 13 15,000 and this is what the Democrats want I've talked about this this is what they want and when you're you question them of course they blame the Republicans they'll say oh well we need a, a comprehensive immigration reform they've been saying that since the 90s okay since the 90s forever their their comprehensive immigration reform these days includes illegals get to stay they get all rights they get made citizens eventually and that's not flying with republicans and it never will and that's not what people want in this country so of course kamala harris who as far as i knew was still in charge of the border uh who says everything's good and says uh, her home thing was we have to get to the root problem of why people come here uh, i don't care what's going on in other countries i care about our border i don't care what motivates them to come I, what motivates them to come is they know they get in so you know you could take what's happening in other countries and why they want to come i don't care that's not the immediate answer we could find that out afterward but that was her but when they recently had that big meeting with the president of mexico you had i believe our secretary of state you had our homeland security secretary kamala was nowhere to be found she's prepping for the big nationwide tour on abortion that really seriously that's what she's going to be doing it's our body she could say that without laughing without messing it up without bringing in school buses without bringing in venn diagrams so they're pretty confident on on, on that you know 
that road for Kamala, literally and figuratively. Now, so Mayorkas, again, you know what to expect from him. He, uh, the House is beginning an impeachment inquiry into impeaching Mayorkas. He should be impeached. He should be impeached. He should be convicted and he should be kicked out. And if you want to take somebody off the ballot for harming this country, take Biden off the ballot. Do the Democrats a a favor. Take Biden off the ballot for what he is allowed to happen to this country at that border and what's going on in cities and everything else. So Mayorkas, um, ladies and gentlemen, was, uh, of course, uh, speaking again. And um, I just want you to, to hear a little bit about uh, of what he had to say. Uh, here he is on MSNBC. Question and answer, I believe. Alejandro Mayorkas, here is cut number 44. 44. We're hearing from many big city mayors, governors, lots of them Democrats, asking Washington to do more. Uh, Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, repeatedly has said that in recent days. So what more is Washington going to do, if anything, to answer their calls for help? So um, we have taken action on the border and we've taken action with respect to the challenges that cities across the country are facing. Let me let me identify one fundamental problem here, and that is the fact that we have one governor in the state of Texas who is refusing to cooperate with other other governors and other local officials and coordinate efforts to address a challenge that our country which this country should stand united to address that our country is facing. And it's a remarkable failure of governance to refuse to cooperate with one's fellow local and state officials. (laughs) It's Jim Abbott's fault. It's Greg Abbott's fault. It's the governor of, uh, of, of Texas's fault. He's to blame. He's the one. He's not cooperating. He's the, uh, the, the uh, wild card. He's causing all this. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? But they, they, they know no shame. Abbott is trying to put up, he's put up barbed wire fences. The administration has gone to court to try to make make them take down the barbed wired fences that keeps illegal aliens out of our country. He put um, things in the water. I forget what they're called, you know, they're big floating things to keep people out. So it's harder to cross through the river, through the water to get into. And the government said he can't do that. They're the ones that are not cooperating with Abbott to try to secure the border. They're the ones, Mayorkas and the rest of them, they're not securing the border. Abbott is doing a great job. Excuse me, a great job. But they'll blame Abbott. Of course they will. And if Abbott's to blame, why does Democratic mayor after Democratic mayor keep saying the federal government needs to do more? Joe Biden needs to do more. Homeland Security needs to do more. Eric Adams, Chicago, other cities. Why? Here's a cut 45. But we have dispatched teams to (laughs) Chicago, Denver, uh, New York, uh, to name just three, to assist them in managing 
the challenge to assist them in ensuring that people who are eligible for work receive their work authorization as swiftly as possible, and we're continuing to collaborate with them. We've also successfully sought some funding from Congress to assist the cities, and in our supplemental budget request, we've requested additional funding for that purpose, and we do hope that Congress passes that critically needed funding measure. Now, if Congress passes that, the money that Biden has asked for in the bill with the Ukraine aid and the Israel aid, boy, doesn't that seem like ages ago? It seems like forever ago. Um, That money will not be used for what common sense dictates it be used for. It will not. It'll be used to put more to let more people in more border agents to bring more people in, more court, uh, more judges, um, more money for more facilities so that these illegals coming in to get processed and then be sent off, you know, for years before they have their hearing. Where do they go? Who the hell knows? Who the hell cares? That's what they do. with. That's what they will do with the money that they want the Congress to pass to give the oh, but we'd hire more border agents, really? And what are those border agents going to do? Build fences, build walls? Are they armed? Are they going to keep people out with the threat of a gun? No, they're going to make sure that they get their hearing. Oh, well, you know, got to make sure they get their hearing. Why don't you send them to California? Then they could get their free health care. How much do you pay for your health care? Well, you should have come here illegally. You wouldn't have had to pay anything if you were in California. (laughs) That's why that's why more and more and more minorities in more and more and more American cities around this country are speaking out, holding rallies, holding, um, you know, speaking at, uh, at city council meetings, town hall meetings and saying, what are you doing? What about us? What about me? What about my kids? You're giving these folks all this free stuff. What about us? And guess who's paying for it? They are. They are. The people speaking out saying, what about us? We're all paying for it. We're all paying for it. It's insane. And that's why his approval rating on immigration is 26%. And if they think they're going to be able to override that and every other issue, inflation, the economy, you name it, with abortion, I think they're mistaken. But they're going to try. And then at the end, Obama and everybody else is going to come and say, oh, they're going to take uh, your your grandmother's Social Security away, which is a lie. And they know it, but they do it every time. And a lot of times it works. Republicans are up against it, folks, up against it. And they got to coordinate. All right, folks, thank you for being out there. Jason Oldborn is next. Uh, God willing, we'll do it again tomorrow. Same time, same place, right here, 9 p.m. Eastern. Tell your friends, tell your enemies. I'm Steve Malsberg on TNT.